everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balaki, talk to writers about writing, and very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's guest, Persephone Aaron Hudson, she was recommended to me by Frog. So if you liked that interview, you'll like this one, and if you like this one, go back and listen to that one. Persephone Aaron Hudson is a horror-slash-weird fiction writer, performer, and deer in headlights with an impact kink. She's the author of Two Dead Horses Beating Each Other Off Forever, Bird Brains Puts the Dog to Sleep and Other Memories, and Dearly Beloved, all of which can be found for free on Gumroad and on itch.io in the near future. It is currently working on the grind horror folktale Do Not Fuck With The Old Bitch Who Nurses The Rabbit, completing hard times at the Aprostate Crater, and finding hope as the dying empire of Atlantis sinks into the sea and tries to take us with it. This conversation was recorded live on February 25 as part of the first annual Writing the Rapids birthday stream. Ava Hoffman was my special co-host. Ava Hoffman is a poet and writer currently living and working in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. A visual poet, her experimental and multimodal work concerns itself with trans-queer history, Marxism, and the frustrated desire inherent to encounters with the literary archive. If you want to help us get to the next year so we can have a second annual writing the rabbit's birthday stream you can support the show in three ways you can support monthly on patreon patreon.com noisemaker joe there's a couple of tiers so they all have their own unique rewards and i really appreciate all of those people you can throw a couple bucks my way for a one-time donation at paypal.me noisemaker joe or you can buy my book it's called tired and it's available on amazon without further ado Let's get into my conversation with Persephone. I think where I want to begin, I feel I feel like we should begin with uh, with the dearly beloved series. Ah, shit. <laughs> so, so if you would like to give an overview about what that is, I think that's a good place to start. Oh, well, it's a good time to light my cigarette, finally. Um, so, so Dearly Beloved started... No, actually, let's pivot the other direction. Dearly Beloved is a story without any, like, named characters. They're all uh, group cults, for the most part, um, interacting in this kind of vaguely medieval, like, purgatorial town. Um, and every every chapter in each book kind of focuses on a different cult and what's happening with that cult until it all kind of starts to uh, converge in uh, arc three, but like arc four, which who the hell knows when that's going to come out at this point. Cause that's just a whole task. There's supposed to be like seven. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah. The first three are the build up to uh, the Holy war that is kind of coming. It's, it's like all of these, uh, mostly right-wing cults but like right-wing in very different kind of ways all kind of individually doing their things until those destructive consequences start echoing out into every other cult's destructive consequences <laughs> um yeah we we start with uh the dearly beloved themselves who are basically like a weird masculinist cult like they're they're basically fight club but they all suck at it um and they like feel really guilty that they're that they can't like feed their families while everyone is starving in this town so they just decided to abandon their children and their wives to go like 
do homoerotic no homo things out in the woods and uh, suck blood out of each other's orifices. And yeah, um, so there's them, there's um, the church and the city council who are running effectively like a prison slash cannibalism farm while everyone else starves. They um, have kidnapped a bunch of people off the street through the open secret police um, and are instituting really horrific, I won't get into it, like uh, rape programs to breed people like farm animals so they can continue to eat and enjoy their opulence while everyone else uh, suffers and dies. Um, the arsonists are kind of like effectively doomer accelerationists more or less like they they just feel the sense of cold all the time that they can't like it just they feel it like beneath their skin and uh yeah they they have this like great terror that like the great freeze over will happen one day so the only way they can like feel any semblance of of warmth or hope anymore is to burn things to the ground and commit arson um uh, yeah, so it's like a bunch of a bunch of groups like that that kind of, um, as well as a furry who pisses and shits everywhere um, and is like basically full dog brain, twenty four seven. So yeah, that's dearly beloved. Um, the first three arcs. Um, yeah. Anyway, please stop me at some point. I don't, I don't <laughs> like. Okay, so a lot of that is is tying together with stuff that is in the other one of the other pieces of yours, the Bird Brains anthology. So is it sort of it's all the expanded universe sort of stuff? Uh kind of. Like there there's a couple expanded universes within my work. Uh Bird Brains connects to uh is kind of isolated, but the like mm. traveler monologues connects to a play that's never going to see the light of day again, <laughs> um, called Goddamn These Minotaurs. And there was a whole expanded universe with Goddamn These Minotaurs and Coyote Moons, and the traveler monologues were all interrelated. Mm. Um, but so there's that universe, and then Two Dead Horses is largely its its own thing, although it kind of is similar there's some similar stuff going on to a prostate crater later um and dearly beloved is mostly self-isolated but there i i almost tied it into um uh the traveler monologues and some of the, the goddamn these minotaur stuff with a character called the crooked dog okay who's basically basically like the black dog of death but like its legs are fucked up and broken and just like mangled its bones are jutting out and it's it's basically like a it just causes harm however it can like it's a, a deific figure that just likes it's kind of a, a trickster god that just likes to hurt people with with no it doesn't have like an ideological bent on who it hurts it just likes to hurt anyone and everyone like it, it kills cops just as often as it causes an entire diner full of people to burn to death um but that kind of got, um, but a prostate crater does have the crooked dog in it. So I don't know. Okay. Um, the, the fire watcher monologue specifically kind of uh-huh. felt similar to me. Although something I noticed in your writing is that each individual piece like starts out sort of normal ish. 
most of the mm-hmm. time and then like ratchets up into like the speculative <laughs> genre sort of thing um mm-hmm. there's the the one piece in arc two where it's just like here is gay smut and then suddenly we're talking about like did you eat your child when he starved <laughs> to death did you eat your child it was the starving times and you're like wait a minute hold on um i feel like there there were a decent amount of of pieces that i read that sort of had those like crazy right hand turns that um i don't know it was just like i was reading one thing and then suddenly it's like oh wait a minute this is some weird cult thing happening oh yeah that 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 turn especially the one you mentioned was very intentional that very like oh oh there it was gay smut and then very suddenly they're arguing about eating children uh <laughs> um yeah that's that's been a big thing in a lot of my work even as it's like changed over the years because like um the stuff from from the first book bird brains um that was all like written way before anything else um like dearly beloved was like 2019 and bird brains almost every piece in there was from like 2017 hmm. um and so my work did a lot of change under that time it kind of like but that 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 uh kind of turn that that kind of hard turn each time is, is still very much kind of there hmm. ava feel free to jump in at any time i don't I haven't thought about how I was going to try to like loop you in, so. Yeah, well, maybe sort of re- related to all this, I'm I am, I'm really interested in sort of um, your thought process about sort of having this sort of, these sort of uh, like ritualized like violences and like systematized violences and the, you know, like you said these cults essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, in various ways, it like uh, this sort of this sort of really like um, challenging violence. Uh, I think appears a lot uh, in your work. I'm I'm very interested in sort of uh, your thinking uh, about that and sort of um, oh yeah yeah like um, how you started sort of thinking about writing things like that and your thought process with writing things like that and um, just because uh, it's you know it, it, it's an interesting question of when someone is writing about this kind of things like the the approach and like why like um, what it means for their art practice right so mm. yeah yeah I I I think the ritualistic stuff really started it it just kind of evolved as like a response to seeing like the vast systems of of violence on like a uh, like a, a systemic and like cultic scale that is just going on constantly all the time and i don't know what else to do but kind of try to try to reflect that because it it just eats at your brain to just like know just how much the world is built on the weight of that like systemic and cultic violence and how we justify like of how we need to craft these narratives to ourselves to justify not only the things we do but like to avoid the actual like dearly beloved especially was 
tuned to this idea that like it started with like flat earthers like it started initially that of like everybody can see that there's problems with capitalism but they a lot of people don't want to cite capitalism <laughs> as the problem and so they'll come up with like the most wild ass shit to to address to to blame something like it, it goes anywhere from like the earth is flat to the jews tm like um of of who gets blamed so that individuals and people in power don't have to look at at global ca uh, capitalism and colonialism as like the reason for this because like er everybody knows it fucking sucks like er like everybody can at least understand to some degree that things are fucked and they cannot go on this way but um, I wanted I wanted to kind of like try to explore why the the elaborate excuses and rituals that we craft to not actually address the problem and how that just exacerbates everything else. Um, and then as to like cultic violence itself, I think the two I think that the two biggest pinpoints for that are what I uh, playing Bloodborne in 2018 for the first time and just getting like I, I I was at a point where I was like violently agoraphobic and just like I we don't need to get into that but like I was spending a lot of time inside and I was just like very very invested in in the Bloodborne lore and just how like systematized this violence was and how like uh, the church would get the get the people to join in on these like witch hunts so that the the people felt like they were doing something and not slowly dying and suffering horribly at the hands of the church it was a way to deflect blame away from the church and get get people to participate in that kind of systematic violence um and then also porpentine's um psychonymph exile which i read in during the pandemic some point during these last like three fucking years um and the scene that i always like come back to it's like it's not even a huge scene in that book but it's the scene where like there's a bunch of uh women being fucked in the ass and they're like in they're like um strapped into guillotines while they're while they're experiencing anal sex and this is like a television program and so like right as these women come the guillotines drop cut off their heads and like there's this note that porpentine leaves in there about how they're like assholes are still like flexing even after death and that scene lives rent free in my brain um every day in my miserable life um but yeah it's it's that kind of the the, the spectacle of violence the the kind of lurid nature of it, the lurid and performative nature of it all that I like most want to, to try to pinpoint. Cause that, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not just that these things happen quietly. These, these violence, cause I mean, plenty of violences do happen quietly to some degree or another, especially like more interpersonal ones. Like, you know, the, the nuclear family is an incestuous cult with a chapter in every home. Um, but like yeah the, these these violences are meant to send a message to people they're meant to communicate something and that's i think something i'm trying to to pinpoint yeah totally uh joe do you have any um or, or do you want to throw it back to me um <laughs> 
I mean, that, there's a lot there that, that I also just want to say yes to. Um, I, I am reminded of uh, your tweet from a couple days ago where you were talking about how, hey, this dude on Letterboxd didn't like Dogtooth. I wonder if he's a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I like, yep. The... <laughs> I think the best thing about that whole thing was the tweet, like, like two or three down on that one Chud's timeline that was like, any man who can survive a medical incident without going to a doctor is is uh like better than women or like is is <laughs> usurping womanhood or I, I don't know it was some like galaxy brain shit it, it, yeah uh, there was a couple of those guys i once that i didn't expect that review to take off i get like i usually get like 10 likes on something for my usual menagerie of people who like my shit for whatever reason and i kind of expected it to just just be that but it started taking off and i was like oh good lord i'm gonna get chuds i said mean things about the nuclear family this is gonna piss a lot of people off and thankfully it only i only got a few chuds only one of whom tried to like implicate me in sex vague sex crimes um but yeah i was i was really worried that was going to be like uh a big thing because the, the 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 more present you are on the internet as a trans woman and the more hostile i guess you are to or like you you start talking shit about their favorite institutions and these guys get angrier than fuck all so like yeah i was really worried the chuds were gonna come after me for that one and thankfully they didn't that's um, funny i i wonder if you could if you could search in in his tweets for like um male disposability right and and like see how often he talks about that right like that because I, I got a, a feeling like right now how many of these guys these like warrior god worshiping dudes are just like but they can't leave with their daughters it's like well i don't know what to tell you man like you can't you can't do one thing and then expect the other thing to happen um it is interesting to me this is um, much like your writing going to take a, a, a crazy turn. Uh, it's interesting <laughs> to me that there is a community on Letterboxd. I, I use it almost entirely just to catalog the anime I watch because I find it hard to keep in my brain what weird anime I've watched. Um, um, and, and similarly, um, I'm not used to the Gumroad platform at all. Frog mentioned it when I talked to her because she's got a lot of her stuff on... Um, itch.io which i didn't know hosted yeah. uh text for one thing um so i'm interested in your choice to use the gumroad platform as as a home for most of your work oh that that's a fun one because i'm going to be moving most of my shit to itch real soon i just need to like do it just because of like gumroad's bullshit i mean everything frog said in her episode is 100 percent correct uh about gumroad and then um the, the shit that happened with with uh, Aggie, like her comics getting taken off of Gumroad, and then Gumroad embrace like Gumroad's weird reaction to announce sort of announcing they're doing NFTs, and then being super weird at people when there was blowback. Um, so I'm gonna be taking my shit off of Gumroad um, and moving it over to Itch sometime in the near future. Um, but for a while, I chose I chose Gumroad because when I when I first put out Bird Brains, I like had physical copies that i i did through like the the amazon program for a minute and then like a couple months later i felt really weird about having my book through amazon so i just pulled it and um 
moved it to to Gumroad. Um, and for like for a while, like Gumroad really worked fine. Like it wasn't a great platform, but it did what I needed it to do, which was like host my work and allow me to uh, to make books free for people if they wanted it. Like they could pay if they wanted to, but like I, I agree with Frog, uh, what Frog said in her episode that like people should just be able to have access to these things and there's no reason why I should have to be some Scrooge McDuck motherfucker about it. Like the, the, the $5 is not going to make or break me, uh, especially because like I don't get enough readers to make or break anything. Uh, so um i like i liked having the 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 freedom it afforded me to to have it accessible to people but yeah i'm i i i gotta move my shit over to itch um because like gumroad is just continually acting up constantly and being super hostile to the people that use it most um and also like if you like if you if you ever look at the the emails gumroad like sends out like they have that unbound problem where they're like the people that they're hyping the most are like weirdo self-help gurus Mm -hmm. like they're like oh check out this guy who sold twenty five thousand copies of this is not an incel book but it's not not an incel book (laughs) (laughs) the mask stays on during sex how to get women while actually (laughs) hating them yeah (laughs) (laughs) we call that ass wide shut um but but yeah like it's 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 all stuff that like it's it's before you get into 12 rules for life it's it's the it's not quite anything necessarily fucked up but then like it it's it's the it's the self-help uh slippery slope like you, you start on Oh, hello. My fiance just got home. Um, oh, no, you're good, babe. Um, yeah, so Gumroad is just not great, and I'm trying to move all my shit, so that's the answer. Okay. Cool. Uh, so I was, I imagined that would be close to the answer. I'm, I suppose I'm, I'm always interested in this self-help sort of question, right? The, the mm-hmm. self-help, or sorry, self-publishing question, not self-help. <laughs> not all i'm doing is i'm just i can't same Gar- thing i i only see the face of gary v in my in my vision right now it's like when you take way too much psychedelics and you just can't see past the visuals it's just his face um the 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 self-publishing question um mm-hmm. of like for for me it's i i haven't really done it because aside from like posting on neutral spaces here or there or like posting stuff for free on my patreon um of like i'm i'm stuck in this mode of like how do i know something's done if nobody has said that it's okay to to publish right oh yeah oh yeah so i don't know like like what is your relationship with your work such that you are able to put it out and and be you know to uh, to know when it's done sort of thing that's a good question um a lot of the time i just like okay so this answer is going to start is partially a process thing is that like i have this very inefficient system where i kind of edit as i go compulsively like i, I can't just like mm-hmm. write a rough draft like a normal person i have to 
just be constantly editing line by line as I'm going. And so it takes me fucking forever to get anything, but it does at least help cut down on, on editing time later. However, I probably like, I, I usually end up like throwing it up, like after it's all done and I'll usually do like a, another editing pass just to make sure I didn't like leave some ridiculous typo in there. Although I think all of my books have at least one typo. Um, uh, and bird brains, I like fucked up how to conjugate Z pronouns and I just hope no one will notice. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's bad. Um, but um, yeah, I usually just end up kind of throwing it up once, uh, once it's all kind of compiled and I'm feeling relatively satisfied with uh, the arc I left, but I definitely do not have like an editor and I'm just kind of rolling with my gut feeling. Um, so I always, there's always a bit of a question whenever I put stuff up, like, am I, am I actually done with this? Like, have I actually put this together? And then I usually just ignore it. Um, Cause I'm tired and I, I like attention and I want it. I, 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 I want this thing that I've been working on forever to just finally be up and available. Um, even if no one reads it, like it's, it's nice just to have it like up. Um, although that's been a little different with a couple projects like um, uh, Bird Brain, specifically the play, the the, the short play, and um, two dead horses beating each other off forever. Like those came very very fast. Those those came in the process of like a couple weeks, uh, and Bird Brains took like two days. It was two or three days. It was very fast. Um, and so those ones I always feel really confident because they're like much shorter. They're very contained. They're very like they have like a very, very specific emotional arc and a very, very specific thing to say. They get in, they get out, as opposed to my other work, which tends to like meander a lot and just kind of go down rabbit holes. Um, yeah, so the, the, those are, I feel a lot more confident when I throw them up on, on Gumroad. I'm like, okay, that that one I, I'm pretty sure is like cemented. Um, but the rest of them, I have no fucking clue. Hmm. I'm just freewheeling it. Okay. Um you were recommended to me by Frog because I, I very much enjoyed the, the sort of chamber play thing that she did. So she pointed me to your work because of that. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm very much like um, unfamiliar with the sort of literary play uh, mm -hmm. as, as form. And I like it a whole lot. Um, so I'm, I'm interested and knowing uh, how you got into that form and, and what the sort of process is there. Oh yeah, I, that easy question. Um, yeah, I, I, w I did theater for a really long time, all through high school, up through college, and I, I got a degree in it. Um, and so I kind of worked on a lot of sides, but yeah, th theater was gonna be like, theater and comics were the two things that I was initially planning to do. Like prose was not the, the plan when I first started putting stuff out. Um, and um, that's taken a couple different avenues. Um, like uh, the, the Traveler monologue started as a specific thing where I was like reading a lot of um, Susan Laurie Park's work, who is uh, a black feminist playwright who is very, very focused on like oral history um, and like oral storytelling. And I was reading a lot of her work and some and some chamber plays. And so I got really, really into like, how can I play with this like oral storytelling function? Um, 
and yeah, for a while I was really into uh, Susan Lurie Parks and Naomi Wallace, um, who's also really great. Um, uh, read playwrights who were arrested by the CIA. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so theater was my uh, original basis, and that's where I was going to start. Um, Bird Brains, Goddamn These Minotaurs, Coyote Moons, that was like the, the main uh, form I was writing in for years. Um, and then I... I ended up dropping coyote moons because it was just like a, a massive project that kept undergoing changes and was like the 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 problem with my full-length plays is they had they they were like borderline chamber plays like they were like i intended them to be performed but they also had just so much shit going on that was just going to be like like i always had solutions to implement them but it was always going to be like a major thing to do it and so I also wanted to make sure it could read as like a chamber piece as well. Um, but those just kind of eventually like collapsed under their, their own, uh, their own weight. Um, and then I started writing dearly beloved and I got very into like prose and poetry, uh, exclusively for a while. But then, um, with, with, uh, dearly beloved arc three, I started playing around with, uh, theater again, um, as well as a solipsi polyp, um, which I don't have up on Gumroad, but I probably should, which was going to be like a like uh, a, a series of short plays about the CIA's uh, re reboot of MK Ultra, hmm. um, and uh, and then obviously uh, Two Dead Horses as well um, when that came about. And so I kind of had moved away from theater for a while, like partially because like I was just writing things that were just like too much for the form and then also i had a very complicated relationship to theater in college i was the only trans woman in the department it was just there was just a lot of constant bullshit um i had to like yeah it became very disheartening i my my thesis like eventually went off pretty well but it was like very very troubled um like two of my actors had to drop out right before like a week before we went on because one of them who had had a concussion and was recovering from it one of my classmates in the thesis class in a different class had decided to uh headbutt somebody who was recovering from a fucking concussion so oh, they, no. had, they got re they got reconcussed and had to drop out and then my other actor had to drop out and this was a three-person show oh no that's <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, so the second person had to drop out because they were only comfortable doing some of the like sex scenes with the, with with the with the person who had to drop out because of the of the concussion. So, the, the the point of all this being, yeah, I, theater became like a very I I had a lot of difficult emotions attached to it, a lot of difficult situations happening. So I kind of left it alone for a while and just kind of like dug really hard into into prose and prose tree. Um, but now I'm starting to kind of circle back to it um and i'm really enjoying that and even when i'm still doing like prose work uh like uh like do not fuck with the old bitch who nurses the rabbit i'm still keeping a very like theatrical bent to some of it hmm. um so that's how i started with 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 um with that because to me i'm i mean being in high school musicals doesn't uh make one a theater kid uh <laughs> you know i was never invited to the journey sing-alongs and denny's or whatever it was that they did but um oh good lord uh, oh god <laughs> like so like purely, purely as a reader right like there's something 
uh, utilitarian about the form of writing in a play where you can just, Mm -hmm. you don't have to transition between dialogue and action. Um, Mm -hmm. That feels really nice. Like, yeah, you know? Yeah, no, that that was a huge thing with, with theaters. I'm going to be honest, I still don't know how to write prose. I, I have put out a number of novellas at this point. I still don't know how to fucking do it. Um, like, like prose's structures are very, like, strange to me. Like, I could write, but, like, the the structural rigidity of, of traditional prose is, even as, like, an avid reader, is, like, something that's, like never quite gelled with my brain um and i always found kind of difficult and so i really liked that the the uh the 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 free-flowing nature of it um it it allowed me to just not get mired in the like uh the, the structure of the paragraph and the structure of of like traditionalist prose itself it that the the freedom it afforded was is is still very attractive to me um yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, can I jump in? Please. Yeah, and sort of like maybe sort of related to this, um, I'm really sort of fascinated in, in your work how, um, like speaking of like your, uh, the latest act of Dearly Beloved, right? How, um, you know, it just sort of moves in and out, like in order to sort of tell its story, it's moving in and out of so many sort of different genres of writing, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's like, you know, there, there's stuff that feels more like prose, there's poetry that, and then there's now an, uh, uh, you know, it's it's been, been called these acts and then there's an actual uh, bit of playwriting in it, right? And like even some of the, there's like then some sections that I'm not even really sure what genre to call them, right? Like, uh, <laughs> um, like, sorry, I'm like, um, uh, I don't, I, I just realized that the title of it is just three numbers. <laughs> Roman numerals. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like three dot seven in parenthesis 12, right? Which is this like, almost just this like monologue right oh is that abuser house yeah i think so um, yeah the the house that keeps killing people yeah 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 don't you dare make a home out. yeah it is i think yes it is and yeah. how that section is like it's not it doesn't even feel like it, you know it it it, it is like existing between genres for me a little bit right because it's mm-hmm. like it's like you know it's kind of poem like but it's also kind of like a like a monologue <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um so i'm really interested in sort of um especially having moved from playwriting and it seems like you're really m- moving in and out of, gen- of genres all the time and sort of mm-hmm. e- it's just even just sort of to create this sort of world right i'm really interested in um that process for you oh absolutely um there's a there's a couple reasons um one is that i just like to fuck around and find out um i just just like to to play (laughs) a lot um and um the the one of the other things is with with Dearly Beloved specifically i started with with arc three but that was really going to start to take off in arc four 
um, was this idea that like the the traditional for the traditional structure itself is breaking down like it start arc one and two are like pretty just straight up prose and then arc three i was introducing some of the yeah there's like playwriting elements there's like that weird abuser house thing where it's like poetry and a monologue and all these other things at the same time and then arc four was going to go fuck wild with it like no no one individual chapter was going to be the same thing to try to like mirror this like even the page itself like really actually honestly inspired by a lot of your work is like <laughs> the 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 page is just like deteriorating or the the idea of, of the, the the structure is is deteriorating as the world itself begins to deteriorate under the strain of like all these cults uh doing their shit um and you know instigating their doomsday plans and like yeah even the the shape of the page was going to break down and then um dearly beloved arc five which who knows when that's going to come out was going to be the only arc in um was going to be the only uh was was, was going to be in um purely visual uh visual poetry and like like imagery it was going to be the only chapter in or the only arc in the series that had uh that had pictures that that uh showed anything visually um in the in the realm of um the um in in, in the realm of the, the 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 rotting uh carcasses and flamingos that rest beneath the skin of the world um and then arc six was going to be like a bunch of short stories as an arc um so yeah i was just gonna con I, I really wanted to continue fucking around with like even even the form of, of the story itself is undergoing mutation and metamorphosis in line with how the world itself is is doing that like um and then also i just think that like different like that hybrid work is very effective because different different chapters or different moments sometimes need different like vehicles to communicate what it wants to communicate and sometimes i i, I think you know like I, I don't think the abuser house chapter could have worked as traditional as prose i don't think and i don't think it would have worked as like it, it maybe could have worked as poetry but like it it wouldn't have been able to capture that like time thing that is that is going on there where like memories and and time is like bleeding into each other um in such a way that like to to reflect the the fact that this house is just constantly in a state of like you know this this one person hurt me and now i can't let that go ever and i'm just constantly re-experiencing that trauma as i exhibit that trauma on other people um yeah so i i i think hybrid work is just very effective at being able to uh take individual moments and give them the 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 form that they need to communicate what they need to communicate yeah totally i i like that i like the idea of i don't know almost de-parametering the yeah. writing right listening to what the piece wants to be um mm -hmm. i i don't know if I, I i don't think i've made it a secret that i'm kind of a fan of of setting strict parameters for yourself when writing at least for myself you know i like to say this <laughs> this is going to be a book that is only descriptions of paintings but the paintings don't exist or whatever 
you oh, know hell yeah and so like okay well how do <laughs> yeah. i how do i do that are, are you gonna are you gonna t- are you gonna do that <laughs> i have i have several <laughs> I small hear, pieces like that, that book <laughs> so bad when i started please finish that when i started <laughs> streaming back please, in the day this was what the stream was going to be for was for that so um that's why i was thinking of oh, it but yeah. you know and then you have the challenges that arise from that like well, if I want that to be novel length, right? If I want that to be 80,000 words, I need, I'm need. i going to need to do like 80 paintings. I'm going to need mm-hmm. to imagine 80 different paintings that are distinct enough to warrant a thousand word description or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's like the fun brain stretching of that um, where... I also enjoy the sort of mystical experience of, of letting the piece create itself out through you. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I think, just as challenging, if not more challenging, than, you know, oh, telling yeah. yourself, this is going to be this thing, now how do I do the thing? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this this is where I don't have a question, right? <laughs> that's the thought. <laughs> Oh, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like all of my work, or most of it at least, has that that kind of thing. Like, like uh, dearly beloved, there was going to be no individual named people except for the the prisoners in Arc Three, um, or um, and they were all going to be like group cults or um, you know, traveler monologues like this or um, uh, two dead horses. All of the acts were three pages long. Mm-hmm. Or they they started out as three pages long up until the very end of um, of uh, scene three, where they break that that uh, relationship pattern where they're like, yeah, we we keep fighting all the time, and what if we just didn't do that? And that was the first time that that structure got broken. And then um, I think s- later the 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 pages expanded, but they were kept within. A, that tight range of like three pages um or six i think in that six or seven and one or two chapter cases um or scene cases um and i can't remember what it what the, there was some very jewish reason i had for doing that it like i i cannot remember for the life of me what i i feel wild for saying that i can't remember the specific like magical bullshit that i was trying to do with that book uh that book but um there was there was like um there was something specific in like jewish numerology um that i like as you know a jewish person who was grieving the death of uh her grandma at 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 the time and why i wrote that book um i was like trying to use like numerology with the pages and the the structure of it and the number of acts that that three um Mm -hmm. to like do some like you know hyper sigil grant morrison shit with it um because yeah i mean if it the 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 grant morrison influence is really apparent like (laughs) uh through a lot of my work um if if you've read any grant morrison i'm not uh, familiar uh, they're a they're a Scottish comic book writer who like I'm trying to figure out how to say this like there's there's like a subset of like non-binary trans women who are really into comics when, while growing up that are approximately like my age who had a very intense relationship with their their comics like Grant Morrison was a wild fucking person like they um 
they're like the Scottish chaos magician. They like invented this thing called a, a like a, a a person. I can't remember what it is, but like basically they made a character in one of their stories that they believed they could physically and like they basically made an OC that they could pilot around. Hmm. Um, was their thought behind it and like that they were going to kill off that character and and they gave that character like a flesh-eating skin virus and then they ended up in the hospital with a flesh-eating skin virus oh. like in real life and they wrote the character out of death and then they got better um their book was going to be canceled at one point um the, the invisibles and they were uh in the the letter section they were like okay so let's talk about hyper sigils and you could charge those any number of ways like you could use pain but pleasure is better. So please do these jerk off sigils for my book <laughs> to keep it from getting canceled. And apparently something must've worked because it didn't get canceled. Um, and they were, they were just doing shit like that all the time. Like a bunch of their books were uh, specifically hyper sigils. They were meant to be like acts of magic that like um, shaped the world outside as well as inside. Like, um, and and some of that came through with uh bird brains uh two dead horses um and then some of um in in less apparent ways like uh uh the um the sea captain the sea captain mm. and um there there's like a bunch of those are like kind of references to like not direct references but like in the style of like Graham Morrison and a lot of their works will just kind of like throw out something really wild, like, oh yeah, and then they pass the the lighthouse of Asjax, and there's and it has 30 eyes, and then there's the 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 fish with the body of a man, and like, you know, that that kind of just like just throwing wild concepts at the wall and seeing what sticks, um, and just kind of rolling with it. Um was yeah. <laughs> What was the original thing? Um, uh, we, we were talking about parameters and writing. Parameters and writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, parameters have been a big, uh, big part. Um, my newest work, um, uh, do, uh, do not fuck with the old bitch that nurses the rabbit, um, has a specific parameter setup where there's like, it's, it's a little looser, but it's like, there are five great witches and it's it's almost video game like in its structure of like mm. there's five great witches and the old woman has to go kill each and every one of them uh while the story with you know the antlered woman happens kind of separately um because that's a that's that's another thing that i keep doing is like having these these narratives which intentionally diverge until they kind of come back back together in the climax and kind of shape the meaning as you know as, as they experience these things individually and then when they come into contact things get really often very fucked up um yeah so it's another one of those <laughs> cool um i was i was also trying to think i'm i'm not uh super well versed with um you know the jewish religion um mm -hmm. as much as i am like fascinated by it so like it was interesting to me because i had to look up what shiva was um and the mm -hmm. idea that it's seven days but there was six acts to the play but then like an intermission but the intermission was like four of them yeah there we go <laughs> there we go there's the seven um 
yeah, I was trying. I was trying to remember what was up with the seven. Um, yeah, yeah, because um, with with sitting uh, Shiva um, or Sh- uh, Shiva, you um, you you're you're supposed to mourn for seven days and and um, pin a piece of of cloth um, to to your clothes, which is why uh, at at the end of two mm-hmm. dead horses, uh, they take the the bit of horse hair and like loop it around um, their their uh their coat um sorry trying to remember where uh yeah um i'm i'm kind of a bad jew um i'm not particularly observant um but in the last like five five plus years i've been like trying to embrace my my jewishness more into like really um between like some of my partners, uh, some of my partners are Jewish, and some of my current and ex partners are Jewish, and um, some uh, uh, there's there's a lot of like Jewish trans women um, that I know who's like uh, Judaism is very like central to um, their their work, often like not explicitly, but like um, I, I think about Never Angeline North a lot, like right. um, seeing a lot of her work um, was also big in that. Um, and so it it with with two dead horses um my grandma is the side of the family where where i'm jewish uh, my mom's side is waspy as fuck um and um um after my, my dad never really considered himself particularly jewish and that was kind of what i was in part like we, we we did hanukkah candles but that was like really about it like we weren't a particularly jewish family um we we weren't observant in any kind of way but my grandma was a little bit more like she was pretty secular all, all in all but like she was definitely the person who like the the only reason my dad did the candles was because my grandma mm-hmm. did the candles for 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 hanukkah and so it felt very it felt very important to me to um to kind of embrace that to, to, to kind of embrace that jewishness um um in in honor of her passing um yeah is, yeah yeah um, um and uh, you go ahead um, the, the the last thing I'll say about the Jewishness is this hasn't happened yet, but in um, Dearly Beloved Arc 4, if if and when I ever actually get around to finishing that, um, there's going to be a group of, of prisoners who escape, um, and some of whom leave, and they have every right to. They're the only people that can get the fuck out of town, because eventually like the town is going to be completely isolated and cut off, and they're the only people who can pass through that membrane. Um are the people who've been imprisoned and tortured and assaulted by the state. Um, but some of them are going to choose to stay behind and form the, the golem. It's, which is basically like a mutual aid, like, um, um, anarchist, like street group that is like there to try to help people who are like suffering as the world kind of devours itself alive. Um, and so, yeah, instead of, instead of the golem is like a singular, uh, figure, it's, it's an anarchist group protecting people out in the streets as shit gets really, really bad. Mm. I, you know, I've only met two Jewish trans women, but it, that seems like, like a lot, <laughs> you know, 
like in an underrepresented group in two under underrepresented groups that I would encounter two very close to each other. Um, mm-hmm. I just find that fascinating. And I, I wish, I wish I had some sort of like, uh, understanding where I could, uh, either say or ask something that would lead to some sort of better understanding. But, um, I don't know. I just find that, uh, unusual and delightful. And I, I feel like I should mention it. I think there's I think there's something to be said about that that it's 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 similar to why there's a lot of like autistic trans women like I'm autistic as well like or mm-hmm. or just like autistic and Jewish trans people generally is that like um not that there isn't like a contingent of like you know like really fucked up assimilationist Jews um we I have to see Ben Shapiro's stupid fucking face every single day in my goddamn life um I want to bully him so bad um and not in the not in the cool sexy way um but um yeah or like zionism um but like jewishness has like a radical history like a a radical like anarchist and communist history um and the, the 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 point i'm trying to get here at here is that like uh like autism it kind of like can it it fosters it, it can it can foster this ability to like to kind of see the world differently and to question some things that are normally just kind of taken as gospel um like uh you know believing in capitalism believing in like the gender binary and like you know bioessentialism and like um those those structures can be very liberatory and allow one to like view things very differently and so that's why there's like a lot of autistic trans people is like for a lot of us like this gender shit never really made a whole lot of sense to begin with and so that makes it easier than to start like questioning if you really you know are the thing people say you are um and and i and i think there's something similar not exactly the same thing but something similar going on with like uh jewishness is that like there is a there there is a real radical history there and like a very like expansive history like the jewish religion is like not there's a lot of and similar to like any faith there's like a lot of ways to go about it and there's a lot of uh very radical kind of um sects and denominations within uh uh jewishness um everywhere from like you know radical progressive sex to like you know you, you can get into some really cool and interesting stuff with kabbalah which i'm not like super super familiar with but um which tends to be like the more magical mystical side of like judaism um so yeah it, it, it just gives you it provides an opportunity for you to kind of like look at the structures of the world and be like this doesn't make any fucking sense just a little bit earlier mm. <laughs> um i think Okay. I suppose I can see that. The, the little bit I do know, I watched a, a, a couple, like, a series of lectures on, on, like, the history of Jewish mysticism, and it seems like in these different writings there are uh, different, like, gendered ways to look at God, uh, where God oh, yeah. becomes masculine and feminine mm-hmm. and then sometimes both. So I... I mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. At least, at, like, from from that point, like, you can see how... Um, religion doesn't necessarily have to be like a barrier to mm. understanding yourself then, right? Because, well, if God can 
you know, be this and do this and we're made in God's image, then it makes sense that I could understand myself in this more true way or whatever. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Oh no, it absolutely does. And and uh the the last thing I'll say about it is that like uh Judaism itself like really encourages you to ask questions in a way that like a lot of Christian faiths absolutely do not. Like you you are asked to to question God in 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 Judaism a lot of the time. Like you are really truly asked to like question God and question yourself and like question the things you are being told. And so yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like I like to sit with that for a second. Ava, we are we are nearing an hour. I want you to to be the the last um jump off point before we oh, get into gosh. the reading. Okay. Put on the spot the last one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. I mean, unless it's like a 30 second answer in that in that point, we're, we're going to have to <laughs> I'm going to have to think of something else to say. Um I did have, yeah. Give, give me, give me like a a couple seconds, a seconds, because I'm trying to formulate it. I'm not. I'm paid by the hour, so don't you worry about taking any time for me. <laughs> I love to say um, that at work because half the people don't know I'm not full time, and they're like, "Wait, what?" And that makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. I think this previous discussion is also maybe a lead into. Um, thinking about like gender and like queerness in your work, I think this is a a, a good way to sort of end it off, right? Because mm-hmm. um, like there's a I, yeah, I think there's a lot of really like great uh, queer art that's like mixing like 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 experiences of of trauma with also like those sort of those tr- the relationship with the, of that trauma with sort of specific like fascinations or, or questions right mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm just very interested in in sort of thinking about that with sort of your work right which I think is an, an example of some of that really great art that so yeah I think I think that I think that's a, a, a good question to sort of uh, uh, yeah, I g- gender and queerness has been a very interesting thing for me because, like, I I don't since since people expect you to write a fucking gender manifesto, like they expect every goddamn Ooh. thing to be like some treatsy on like the the true experience of transness, and that's like fake as shit. I don't believe that. Like, there's not even like a singular ex- like way to experience anything or even a singular self. Like, I I I've had conversations with Frog about this that were really lovely. Um, so I, I rarely try to write about gender. Like there's there's a couple pieces in in the the Bird Brains uh, anthology that are much more like about gender TM, like uh, the the Minotaur and um, or the the Minotaur cowboy and um, the, uh, the 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 Orphea Orphea. There we go. Um, but I don't I don't like to write a about gender but i do like to write about gender dynamics and like the ways that those play out like um uh, two dead horses i was like very interested in in the ways that like uh, this kind of like 
fluidity of being in the kind of way that like I me and some other trans women I know like are kind of women sort of whatever the fuck that means um <laughs> but also sometimes when we're like together we're also kind of guys in a weird sort of like we're not men and we're not boys but like there's a little bit of like i don't know there, there, there's something going on there and so i wanted to try to to get at that kind of like fluidity and that relationship between like um the yeah or or um or like something I've I've tried to do is like people write about a, a abuse and violence as like a uniquely patriarchal thing, and that drives me up the fucking wall because it's like yeah, men are men are on some fucking shit all the time, um, especially white men. But like, um, but I wanted to kind of get at because like I I and a lot of other people have been abused and and hurt in a variety of capacities by people who aren't men and like we see this on the 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 global stage too is like women be doing shit and so um something i've tried to really focus on in my work um is this kind of idea like we get nowhere when having conversations about abuse and systemic violence if we just kind of go well it's the men's problem like because that doesn't that doesn't really address the like yeah it's it's it, there's definitely like a heightened prevalence of it like under under patriarchy but like it does us no fucking good to pretend that this is like a uniquely a unique problem with men and in fact this often allows people who like are violent whether interpersonally or systemically to kind of hide behind well i'm not a man so like what i'm doing is not the same shit like we i mean you you can see this from you know individual stuff to like fucking like hillary clinton or <laughs> you know like anybody on the global stage they're like well i'm a woman so anything i do it's 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 actually girl bossing when i drone bomb a bunch of children um <laughs> it's very feminist when i do it um and that is incredibly disgusting to me uh, like both personally and also just like yeah we, we get nowhere without like talking about the ways in which like we like even even people who are marginalized by by patriarchy by whiteness by like any any number of things like can can co-opt ourselves into like the state and we see that with like the the gay guys in dearly beloved who like are wannabe cops who are mostly kind of just you know doing scooby-doo role play until like they get an actual chance to perform being a cop which just means torturing some dude in a shed um or like um in uh the, the the book i'm working on uh or one of the books i'm working on do not fuck with the old bitch the nurse is the rabbit almost everybody in that book is a woman um and they're they're you know like the alert woman is doing good things and trying to help people but like all of the great witches are participating in what is at best serial killer shit on like a on a scale and um which are either doing serial killer shit or just like outright like industrial scale human trafficking um and so is like the state like um there's a uh there's some stuff about like uh rape and uh, or women committing rape in that book um there is uh in Ab abuser house the the house is a woman and kills men and women alike and ki kills anyone um who comes in there because she too was abused by a woman we don't like and so I that that's the kind of thing that I, I want to get into is like 
um, is not some fucking manifesto about how I'm really a woman, blah, blah, blah. Please accept me. Please don't hate me on site. Uh, like, like, yeah, that's fine. And there's some use for that, but like, it's not, I'm not, I'm not interested in explaining to cis people a, a single fucking thing. Like <laughs> I have to do this constantly just by existing in public. Like I'm, I, 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 I don't need to be doing that shit. But what I do think is is useful and interesting is exploring how these kind of like gender dynamics kind of play out and the ways in which we those dynamics can either be very liberatory or it can be very very fucked up. Um, and yeah, just 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 I guess just kind of exploring like what what like re really going beyond the one one step here and saying okay, but what does this do? Like like what are these various like gender relationships and what are these various like relationships to bodies do like um in the same way that like do not fuck with the old bitch who nurses the rabbit like some of those people are cis women and some of them are trans like and the distinction between them is kind of murky and, and fluid like uh and the the relationship to bodies then is is fluid too because i'm like i'm not i'm not interested interested in like I'm, I'm very rarely interested in like a very strict basic like like gender dynamic um it, it it just doesn't interest me it's it's just like what what can we what can we do with gender like what is what is what how does gender inform the ways we treat each other um okay yeah that's yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's i think that's a, a great answer yeah the dynamics over some kind of totalizing theory. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the the piece that I'm going to read today is um, Hard Times at the Apostle Ranch, which started out as its own individual short story and wasn't going to be anything more and then um, ended up becoming the like prologue to hard times at the apostate crater which takes place 300,000 plus years after the fact with one of the characters that's going to be mentioned it's basically a whole spin-off book from this one short story um so the short story is effectively just the prologue but um I'll read that and the only thing I'll say about it um is I'll just give some content warnings about it there's some like there's some body horror and some gore um there's some uncomfortable shit in there there's like a brief reference to uh rape that didn't happen on screen um but yeah there, there's a lot of descriptions of like gore and violence it's it's a pretty intense uh little like weird weird western piece um so i thought i'd throw that out there just so you know people don't end up stumbling into something that's a little intense <laughs> um all right Hard Times at the Apostle Ranch. When you arrive for your first day at the Apostle Ranch, they give you a gun. You punch the clock by cocking the clock. If you protest the gun, they tell you plainly, those ostriches ain't normal. They're right, but they don't gotta be so fucking smug about it. Or maybe they do. Those ostriches do things to a person. No one ever protests on their second day. Your shift starts at high noon. They put a bag over your head and take it off in one fluid motion. In an instant, you're balls deep in the ulcers of the desert. The rancid sunlight gores your eye like it were gouged by a bull's horn. 
none of us are quite sure if this is literal. It sure feels literal. You adjust. The debat debatably literal swiftly sours into the undeniably lit uh, liturgical. This is an act of worship. It has to be. When those fucking ostriches prolapse from the meat beneath the dirt, you got to make a holy war of it. Scorched earth Sunday fucking service, eight hours a day, six days a week. You adjust. You're standing in a cow pasture blistered with bogs. The cows drink from the irradiated soup with dexterous suckling tongues. Officially, publicly, you're there to protect the cows. After the first day, though, you ain't there for nothing but to annihilate those feral fucking birds. Ten ranch hands, hyena man, and you, armed and overall to the tits. By the grace of God, we go to the slaughter. Those ostriches ain't normal. You hear, but you'll never know until they berserk or bum rush you out of the goddamn blue. That's how they always do. Suddenly, violently charging across the desert like coked up roadrunners screeching in broken tongues, the Omega radiation fried their fucking brains and fucked their bodies into shape. They run on what they run on what were once human arms, elbows bent backwards, their wings a rib cage wrenched open, webbed with sagging flesh. A human head rests atop a neck of fused human legs, former feet jutting out from distended jaws to form a beak lined with several dozen teeth. They've all been radiation burned the color of projectile vomit stewing in a shiny oil spill, sweating piss and bleeding pus, splattered in the filth of human bodies torn apart. Those ostriches ain't fucking normal, and that ain't even the end of it. Those ostriches, they know things they shouldn't. When they're close enough to see you, you specifically shooting at them, they'll tell you at length. Divorce, the, the shit you beat your meat to, seeing your kid die slow of solar plague. Every shame and secret you got bared like a knife. Once an ostrich squawked the story of how a new hire had stalked and raped a girl some years past. We let the ostrich take his pecker and beat him near to death real slow-like. Left him to be torn apart by whatever found him first. Even in holy war, holy war, there are hard fucking limits. Fuck around and we will find out. That's the one warning you get. Oh, and, and if any of the abominations beg for help, put them the fuck down. A few of them have recently developed a tactical mutation. They'll use the opportunity to corkscrew skull fuck your eyes out. Or for a fleeting moment. They remember who they were, the grief and terror of it all driving them into a sadistic frenzy. Either way, they've skull-fucked five new, new hires blind. I reiterate, put them the fuck down. That's the other one warning you get. Anyway, the first day of the holy war of the rest of your life. You, ten ranch hands, and hyena man. Oorah, yeehaw, and all that. You'll cock the glock in, get whisked away to the killing pastures, and dick around with the boys until the ostriches decide to ambush you. This will usually take as long as it takes a cocksucker to suck off a cigarette. Which is to say, about three minutes, if I'm timing my smokes right. But just as often, it'll be hours. Or they'll have your be their beaks at your balls within seconds. Crafty little fuckers will never give you consistency or peace. Be ready for action as soon as your feet hit dirt. Once the shooting starts, it's real simple. See an ostrich? Shoot it. Stab if they get too close or you run out of bullets. Rinse and repeat till they retreat or your shift ends. If those ostriches ain't dead by the end of the day, the night shift will tap you out. Usually the latter. You kill until you cl uh, uh, clock out or you're dead. Simple shit. 
What's not so simple is at some point, Hyena Man is going to take his pants off and start cackling like the devil. It's not a sex thing, unlike those ostrich fuckers in the night shift. It's a PTSD thing and a mutate thing. Anyway, Hyena Man's going to take his pants off and go ape shit with his fists. You're going to let him do his thing. Hyena Man's been beating ostriches to death with his bare hands for seven years with almost no injuries and a higher kill count than God. Just mind your damn business and keep your eye on your own. A wandering eye is going to get you killed. Your other co-workers ain't going to take their pants off, but they're plenty colorful too. Ain't going to tell you about them, though. More than likely, they'll be dead before you get a backstory out of them. Or you'll be too dead to hear it. The only certainty in this fuck of a job on this hell fuck of an earth is that the Holy War is a meat grinder for cowboys and Hyena Man will never die. The ostriches will fuck the violet sun out of the sky before any of us get a lukewarm pint of goddamn dignity. But ain't that the bitch of it? You will know them. And you will love them. The other ranch hands. You will love them so fucking fierce in the shared indignity of it all. Ostriches to the left, ostrich fuckers to the right, stuck in the middle with the bottom feeders and upper management. Out here in the killing pastures on the muddy border of wage labor and holy war, all you got is them. The boys, the scorched earth, and the Sunday fucking service. Amen and all that. You adjust. Soon you'll stop coming home at the end of the day. No home to go back to. No one who could ever get it but the boys. Nothing and nowhere and no one at all but you and y'all at the never-ending end of the fucking world. You and the other high rollers of the Holy War congregating at the bottomless pulpit of a seedy dive bar to black out on petrol shots and crack rock cola, playing cards and Russian roulette to pass the time. Rolling blackouts of the nervous system to keep us safe from neuroelectric autoimmolation. It's a fuck-ugly evil way to go. Worse than getting your brainstem fucked right off your spine by an ostrich. At least getting fucked to death, you've got the dignity of knowing the end is nigh and that you died for something. Anything. There's no fucking dignity in spontaneous heat death. No fucking dignity in being burned out of space-time itself. Nothing left of you but your neuroelectric ghost imprinted on the hell imprinted in hellfire upon the fabric of the world. Watching someone die like this breaks you. Watching your friend die like this, utterly helpless to save them, breaks you beyond salvation. Ain't no, ain't no holy war to fix that. And yet you go on. You adjust. What other choice is there? There ain't no sane reason to work for the Apostle Ranch. The pay is a pittance, the work is traumatic, and the working conditions are depraved. Ain't even healthcare. But if you're looking to devote yourself to a holy war, the Apostle Ranch is always hiring converts. That's the gospel orientation I gave the last green ranch hand that took the job. His name was Pigeon. He heard me, but he did not heed me. On his second day, he panicked. He ran. He ran straight into the barbed wire fence at the edge of the pasture, got tangled up in the wire like a frightened horse in a thunderstorm. It's fucking horrific. Blood spurting from deep lacerations throbbing with rust. Ribbons of flesh and muscle dangling like tattered prayer cloth. The fence-sitting boys of St. Peter tranquilized him before he could accidentally kill himself on the fence. They cut Pigeon loose and took him away. We went back to work. No use dwelling. No time to, what with the ostriches at our necks, anyway. 
nothing we could do to help him anyway. We adjusted. Just another day of the holy war of the rest of our lives. Next morning, we clocked into the killing pasture to find him crucified. His guts were being pecked out by baby ostriches. A get well soon balloon was tied around his neck like a noose. Besides the scarecrow made of pigeon was a stone pillar etched with a commandment. Abandon all hope ye who desert the holy war, signed the foreman of the Inquisition. So here's the thing, you scab motherfucker. This is the one fucking warning you get. If you cross this picket line, there ain't no good end for you. The ostriches, the immolation, or the bosses will fuck you dead. Scabs get picked off the skin when their use is up, son. You've got yourself a choice. Make it. Ours is a holy strike by Russian roulette. A potentially loaded chamber will go off against our skulls every hour our demands aren't met. We are the apostates and we will kill ourselves for an ounce of goddamn fucking dignity if we have to. This is an act of worship. It has to be.